From Creation Ministries International, you're listening to Creation.com's article podcast. The research and insights that give God glory, refute evolution, and give you the answers to defend your faith. Probably the most famous physicist of our time, Stephen Hawking, recently died. Coincidentally, on the 139th anniversary of the birth of the most famous physicist of the 20th century, Albert Einstein, who was born on the 14th of March in 1879 and died on the 18th of April in 1955. Hawking was born on the 300th anniversary of the death of another great physicist, Galileo Galilei, who lived the 15th of February 1564 through the 8th of January 1642. Indeed, both Hawking and Einstein were 76 when they died, and Galileo only a year older. This is particularly astounding for Hawking, living a fairly normal modern lifespan, although he was diagnosed with the degenerative amyotrophic lateral sclerosis or Lou Gehrig's disease back in 1963 and was told that he had only two years to live, but it slowly paralyzed him, so he was well known for being dependent on a motorized wheelchair and voice synthesizer. The latter has an American accent, different from the Oxford English accent he had naturally, but even later he decided to keep the former accent for newer synthesizers because it had become so well known. His greatest work in physics was showing that black holes would slowly evaporate, but he has become known in the popular world for his popular books that delve into philosophy and religion. In an earlier paper, Hawking Atheopathy, famous physicist goes beyond the evidence, I provided more biographical details and critiques of his claims, so there is no need to rehash them here. From a human perspective, it's sad to see anyone go into a Christless eternity, and indeed God himself has no pleasure in it, Ezekiel 33, 11. But we can't escape the truth. It is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment, Hebrews 9:27. While living to 76 might seem like a decent lifespan, death in reality is the last enemy, 1 Corinthians 15, 26. This is true no matter how long this was postponed. Even the prodigiously long lifespans of our ancestors recorded in the chronogenealogy of Genesis 5 couldn't change that fact. Indeed, after the lifespan of every patriarch, except Enoch who escaped death, we are reminded over and over that death comes for all of us. However, atheists naively regard death as a natural part of the evolutionary process. Indeed, Hawking himself gave a defiant interview to the leftist British newspaper, The Guardian, back in 2011. He was reported as claiming, The belief that heaven or an afterlife awaits us is a fairy story for people afraid of death. Unfortunately, this commits a fallacy rife in atheopathic agitprop, what C.S. Lewis called bulverism. You must show that a man is wrong before you start explaining why he is wrong. The modern method is to assume without discussion that he is wrong and then distract his attention from this, the only real issue, by busily explaining how he came to be so silly. In the course of the last 15 years, I have found this vice so common that I have had to invent a name for it. I call it bulverism. In Hawking's case, he tries to explain away why he thinks people believe in an afterlife before demonstrating that this belief is wrong. However, similar arguments can always be turned back on their user, which is one reason this is a silly mode of argumentation. Also, Hawking's account is demonstrably wrong for many people, for example C.S. Lewis again. I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. 
If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable, I certainly don't recommend Christianity. We'll get right back to the article after a short break. Alex Williams and John Hartnett's book Dismantling the Big Bang reveals the scientific and philosophical weaknesses at the core of Big Bang thinking and the contradictions to which they lead. Written on a level that lay people can understand, it shows the intellectual superiority of the history of the universe given in the Bible as a basis for our thinking about the cosmos. Rediscover how to think about the universe in the only way that makes sense, from God's perspective, in the light of the history given in His Word. Please check out this product at creation.com store. Hawking's attempt at justification for his own belief system was, I regard the brain as a computer which will stop working when its components fail. There is no heaven or afterlife for broken down computers. That is a fairy story for people afraid of the dark. This is a similar statement to that from the late cognitive scientist and atheist Marvin Minsky who asserted more earthily, The human brain is just a computer that happens to be made out of meat. Well, many people think with some justification that the brain is a computer. But this understates the complexity of the brain and the large differences between them, as neuroscientist Peter Lyne explains. For instance, if you knock out a portion of a computer's circuitry, the whole thing malfunctions. But the brain has a lot of built-in redundancy. If part of it is damaged, other parts can usually take over some of the function. It's hard to even begin to comprehend the incredible complexity of the brain. Actually, never mind the human brain. Even an insect brain is extremely complex. For example, the advanced tracking system of the dragonfly operates in a pinhead-sized brain, while human designers trying to copy this needed very bulky systems. Also, no one has ever built a computer by time, chance, and natural selection. A fortiori, how less credible it is that those processes could have built the far more complex brain. Dr. Line explains, In the real world, such accidental DNA changes cause defects. They don't build things up. A defect can give a local survival advantage, like a beetle born without wings on a windy island having less chance of being blown out to sea. But mutations in the brain cause brain defects, not bigger and better brains. To continue, while a computer will indeed stop working if critical parts fail, this doesn't logically imply no afterlife. All this argument could prove is that the brain also stops working. But his argument begs the question about whether the human being is no more than his body. Certainly, in living humans, the mind rides on the brain, which explains why brain damage can affect the way people think. But this doesn't entail that the mind is nothing more than an epiphenomenon of the brain. Former leading atheistic philosopher Antony Flew, who turned to theism a few years before he died in 2010, pointed out, Although certain areas of the brain are associated with consciousness, they do not produce consciousness. A certain area of a person's brain may show activity when thinking about a certain idea, but a neurologist cannot tell from that person's MRI what he is thinking about. Consciousness is correlated with certain regions of the brain, but when the same systems of neurons are present in the brain stem, there is no production of consciousness. Previously, he had illustrated this point as follows. Let us begin with a parable. Imagine that a satellite phone is washed ashore on a remote island inhabited by a tribe that has never had contact with modern civilization. The natives play with the numbers on the dial pad and hear different voices upon hitting certain sequences. 
they assume first that it's the device that makes these noises. Some of the cleverer natives, the scientists of the tribe, assemble an exact replica and hit the numbers again. They hear the voices again. The conclusion seems obvious to them. This particular combination of crystals and metals and chemicals produces what seems like human voices, and this means that the voices are simply properties of this device. But the tribal sage summons the scientists for a discussion. He has thought long and hard on the matter, and has reached the following conclusion. The voices coming through the instrument must be coming from people like themselves, people who are living and conscious although speaking in another language. Instead of assuming that the voices are simply properties of the handset, they should investigate the possibility that through some mysterious communication network, they are in touch with other humans. Perhaps further study along these lines could lead to a greater understanding of the world beyond their island. But the scientists simply laugh at the sage and say, look, when we damage the instrument, the voices stop coming. So they're obviously nothing more than sounds produced by a unique combination of lithium and printed circuit boards and light-emitting diodes. In this parable, we see how easy it is to let preconceived theories shape the way we view evidence instead of letting the evidence shape our theories. And in this, it seems to me, lies the peculiar danger, the endemic evil of dogmatic atheism. A few weeks before he died, Hawking gave an interview with his fellow atheopathic cosmogonist Neil deGrasse Tyson of the revamped Cosmos series and admitted ignorance about star formation. Hawking claimed to know what happened before the Big Bang. According to a report, Hawking said, Time was present in a bent state amid the nearly infinitely small quantum foam of the singularity before the Big Bang. Time was distorted along another dimension. It was always reaching closer to nothing but didn't become nothing. In short, according to Hawking, there was never a Big Bang that produced something from nothing. It just seemed that way from mankind's point of perspective. But he also admits that this view is incapable of observational verification. Since events before the Big Bang have no observational consequences, one may as well cut them out of the theory and say that time began at the Big Bang. Events before the Big Bang are simply not defined because there's no way one could measure what happened at them. But if they are incapable of observational verification, then how is it real science as opposed to a quasi-religious belief? Hawking makes this clear as he continues. This kind of beginning to the universe, and of time itself, is very different to the beginnings that had been considered earlier. These had to be imposed on the universe by some external agency. There is no dynamical reason why the motion of bodies in the solar system cannot be extrapolated back in time far beyond 4004 BC, the date for the creation of the universe, according to the book of Genesis. Thus it would require the direct intervention of God, if the universe began at that date. By contrast, the Big Bang is a beginning that is required by the dynamical laws that govern the universe. It is therefore intrinsic to the universe, and is not imposed on it from outside. It's now unfortunately too late for Hawking, but it's not too late for anyone reading this. There really is good news, as the late Billy Graham preached for decades. The Creation.com article podcast is brought to you by the studios of Creation Ministries International USA. You'll find lots of interesting related content in the links and show notes. This episode's article was written by Jonathan Sarfadi. Be sure to listen to our other show, Creation.com Talk. Visit our events page to find a creationist giving a presentation in your local area. 
If you'd like to help us, become a monthly supporter at creation.com donate. If you want the latest noteworthy research and news, subscribe to Creation Magazine. From everyone at creation.com, thanks for listening.